Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. When you hear the term, the end times, or the last days, what comes into your mind? Now, most people think of the last days, the end times, as referring to Daniel's 70th week. That is the last seven years before Messiah's second coming, when he defeats the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God, he delivers the Jewish people, a remnant of them, and he sets up his kingdom. But when we look at the book of Acts, we find that that same term, the last days, the end times, can be used in a broader way. It's related to the preaching of the gospel, that message being available, and the opportunity to find forgiveness from one's sin, and be welcome into the kingdom of God. So in one sense, in a broader sense, the end times began after the ascension of Messiah, beginning at the time of Pentecost. And we learn that from the use of Joel's prophecy by Peter on that Pentecost. Now, the reason why I say that is when we look at the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, remember, it is from the epistle, the first epistle of John. It was written long ago. And what does he say at the beginning of this passage? Well, I invite you to take out your Bible and look with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 18. 1 John Chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. And notice what he says. He says, children, and this is that same word that we saw in the midst of our study last week. Not the one that speaks of children in a general sense, a term of endearment, but this is speaking about individuals who are young, perhaps young in their faith, but understand that they are servants of God, that they have been called to bring honor to the living God by a righteous behavior, by submitting to God's authority, being committed to the things, the purposes of God. So he writes, children, it is the last hour. Now, that is another term referring to the end times, the last days. But, of course, we're going back nearly 2,000 years ago. So, this final hour is when the gospel is available. And with the preaching of the gospel, there is going to be opposition. 
We saw that from the very beginning and nothing has changed. But realize, as we move closer and closer to the events of Daniel's 70th week, we're going to see that there is greater opposition to the gospel. And I believe now, as we look at the world and what's taking place, there is great hostility, great opposition to the truth of Scripture, especially when it comes from a perspective that's rooted in the Word of God and that new covenant promise that Messiah came to establish and the apostles taught and encouraged us to move alongside of, join together to be servants of this gospel. So we read here in verse 18, children, it is the final hour. And just as you have heard, and pay close attention, I mentioned that there is going to be opposition. There is opposition by the Antichrist in those last seven years. But the Antichrist is already here. Now, maybe not bodily, but as we're going to see in a few minutes, the spirit of the Antichrist has been at work for a long time. In opposition to the will of God, and the proclaiming of God's wonderful promise. What promise is that? Forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins through that gospel message that focuses in on the Son, the Son of God, Yeshua, and what he did, his death, burial, and resurrection. So he says, just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, now, this phrase for is coming, just one word in Greek, and it's in the passive, which means that there's going to be something that brings him into being. And this is exactly what Paul teaches us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So we have heard, he says this, just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, that he's going to be brought, but notice what he says in that time what is true going all the way back to the time of the apostles he says and now many antichrists have been now that term have been speaks about the antichrists that were is and will be up until messiah's second coming when he defeats the antichrist and hear this and the spirit of the Antichrist. When he says that there are many Antichrists that have, have been, and that tense of that phrase, has been, means have been in the past, but also it means now, presently, and also into the future. And these many Antichrists are those, and we'll see clearly what he's referring to, individuals, that are operating, behaving, thinking, teaching, moving in the same spirit of the Antichrist and for the same purpose of the Antichrist. So he says, almost 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today, and now many Antichrists have been from which we know that it is the final hour. 
opposition to the gospel, the spirit of the Antichrist. And what is the spirit of the Antichrist? Well, first of all, it's blasphemous. Now, blasphemous is a, an act, a behavior, a speech, a word that is insulting to God. And hear this. It is rooted in rebelliousness. Very important that we see this. The Antichrist is rebellion. Now, the Antichrist is a person, and this term anti means contrary to, against. It's rooted in a spirit of rebelliousness. He is going to oppose the thing of God. And, and what can we see today? Well, a good example of this is that God, and I taught about this not too long ago, God has created things perfectly. God's order is a wonderful, marvelous, complete, perfect order. He says that he created Adam, male and female. And we see that marriage, which is a covenant, is between one man and one woman. We see today that there is rebelliousness. There are those who want to choose their own gender in rebelliousness, in defiance to what God has done. And likewise, there are those who want to say marriage. We don't define it between a man and a woman only, just like we don't believe that there's only two genders. Such talk is blasphemous. It is rooted in the spirit of the Antichrist. That's not politically correct, so be it. Nowhere in the scripture do we find a commandment to be politically correct. But we see many times that we're supposed to be obedient and we're supposed to walk in the truth. So he says in this scripture, and now many antichrists have been from which, because of that, from where we know that it's the final hour. Now let's look at verse 19. Now, in speaking of these many antichrists, notice what he says about them. He says, and again, this is going to be even more prevalent. What he's talking about is going to be more common as we get closer and closer to the end. He says in verse 19, from us they went out. Who's us? True believers, true disciples of Yeshua. He says, from us they went out, but hear what he writes. Very important. He says, but they were not from us. And the implication is, they were never, ever, ever from us. Them being with us was rooted in a lie, in deceit. They were not true believers. They were false. They were rooted in a lie. They were about deception. They were not committed to the gospel, nor did they ever truly receive it. They may have said it with their mouth, but the scripture says in Romans 10, not only do you have to say, confess, but also believe in your heart. So it's not speaking about losing your salvation. They never had it. They were never part of us, it says. 
And then he writes in the middle of verse 19, for if they were from us, they would have remained with us. Now, I would highlight that phrase, they would have remained with us. Now, grammar is important. And there is a tense that is exceedingly rare in the Bible, in the Greek New Testament. And that is the pluperfect. Now, many people have heard that studied grammar, this, this tense, the pluperfect, but can they define it? Well, in the Greek New Testament, the use of that tense, the pluperfect, is to show something remote, far away, distant. And what it's saying here is that they were very far away, very distant from remaining with us. They were never part of us, and they were never going to truly remain with us. But, keep reading verse 19, but in order that they should be manifested that they are not all from us. And, and what it could be saying here is all, in this case, because it has a negative, it could be accurately translated as none were ever from us. All those that went out, they were never ever, none of them were ever from us. Verse, verse 20. Now he's going to show a distinction. How do we really know who is a believer and who's not? Well, the answer is connected to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling and the manifestation of the indwelling Holy Spirit in a life, and that is through an anointing. Notice what he says in verse 20. And you have an anointing. So important. It's all connected to the Holy Spirit. And you have an anointing from the Holy One. That's why this anointing is a holy anointing, a Holy Spirit anointing. He who has the Spirit has been born again. He who does not have the Spirit has never been born again, has never been saved. It's not that they lose their salvation. They don't have it. They never did. They were none at any time from us, is what he says. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, that is Messiah. And you know all things. Now, what is he speaking about here? Everything that we need to know comes through the Holy Spirit. Through his anointing, we have the, the access to truth, to the knowledge of God, in order that we can exercise, very, very important word, that we can exercise discernment. And in discernment, one can walk in the truth walk in obedience, testify of, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in one's life. So he says, you have the anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse 21, he says, I did not write to you. Now hear that. I did not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. So one who has the anointing, he knows the truth. So important. And the truth is not of this world. 
the truth is from God. It descended from the heaven. It is not part of this world. It comes through revelation, revelation, revelation through the anointing of the Spirit, but always the truth is based in the Word of God. So there's that inherent relationship between truth and Scripture. He says, I did not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And that everything, meaning everything else, is falsehood. It's a lie. It is not from the truth. That's what he says. So notice something very important here. We have a dichotomy. There is a polarization, meaning this. There is truth and everything else is false. If it's not part of the truth, it's false. That's why we should never say, oh, this is my truth. There's no such thing as that. There is God's truth. You either accept God's truth or you do not have truth. It is a lie. No position in between. Right or wrong. This is what he's saying. Just like there's light and darkness, good and evil, truth and falsehood. This is what the Word of God is revealing. Then he says, when he says, everything else is the implication is a falsehood, is a lie, because it's not from the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? Now, we know who the true one is, the holy one. For Messiah, he is the truth, way, and the life. Now, what it says here is the Antichrist and those who belong to him, they are of the lie. And he says, once more, verse, verse 22, who is the liar? And he says, is it not? Meaning, it is the one that denies that Yeshua, he denies that Yeshua, he states that Yeshua is not the Christ. Now, very simple. When a person denies Yeshua that he is Messiah, this person has not received the truth. This person is living in deceit, falsehood. Truth begins with a confession of Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, as the Messiah. You deny that, you are with the Antichrist. You will be used by him. You are going to agree with him. You are going to serve him. This is what the scripture says. So who is the liar? He says, is it not the one who denies Yeshua that, that says he is not the Messiah? This one, look at the end of verse 22, this one is the Antichrist. So what it's saying here is that the Antichrist, that main Antichrist, is going to deny that Yeshua is the Messiah. And anyone who also denies he is related to the Antichrist. Now, remember what the scripture says. Messiah says, do not think that I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace, he says, but a sword. In Luke's gospel, he says, division. Why? A sword divides. And what is this sword? It's the gospel. It's the truth of God concerning the identity. And not just the identity, but the work. The anointed one, the Messiah, is, is 
anointed for a purpose. He's the king of kings, and he establishes the kingdom. So everyone who does not believe the truth, accept the truth, has the anointing. This one is the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? Who's related to him? The one who denies the Father, also the Son. Now, this is important because anyone who denies that there is Father God and, and God the Son, this one is in unity with the Antichrist. He's going to follow him, embrace him, agree with him, think like him, be deceived by him. That's what the scriptures say. So it's very important that we see here has significant theological implications that if one denies the father, just by default, he defies the son. It's speaking about this relationship between God, the father, God, the son. So it's super important that we see this word says, but the one who denies the son denies, denies, excuse me, the one who denies the father also, the implication is denies the son. But the one who denies the son, literally it says all who deny the son, does he not also deny the father? Now, this also has big implications. I'm going to go back and read this carefully. Look again at verse 20, 22. He says, Who is the liar? Is it not the one that denies that Yeshua, that, that he is the Christ? He says he's not the Christ. This is the liar. This one is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father also, the implication is, they don't believe that there's a father God, not just that there's a God, but he's father of Yeshua. That's the key. Now, someone can say, oh, I believe in God the Father in a general sense that he's the father of, of all. That's not what this scripture is talking about. It's speaking about denies that God is the father of Yeshua, the son. Everyone, now look at verse 23. Everyone who denies the son does not have the Father. Now, this is important because there are those who teach that, well, if you believe in the Father and you believe in the Messiah, by default, you also believe in Yeshua, the Messiah. This is not Scripture. This Scripture says something in contrast to that. What the Scripture says is this. If you deny the Son, someone says, I don't believe that there's a Son of God. That one also, it says, this one does not have the Father. He has no relationship with the Father. Here's the, the practical truth of it. You deny the Son of God. You do not have any relationship with the Father. The only way, and I want to say that again, the only way that you can have a relationship with God is through the Son. No other way. You deny Yeshua, you deny that, that, that there's a God. You might say there's a God, but you don't have any relationship with him. That's what he says. You do not have the, the Father. Verse 23 in the middle, the one who confesses the Son, if you confess Yeshua, that he is the Son of God, also this one has the Father. 
verse 24. Therefore you, what you have heard from the beginning, he's speaking to true believers. He says, therefore you, what you have heard from the beginning, in you, let it remain. And when it says in the beginning, it's talking about what Messiah taught and the early apostles, that foundation for a new covenant faith. What you have heard about the gospel, what has been truly revealed by God. He says, what you have heard from the beginning, in you, let it remain. And if in you it remains, what from the beginning you have heard, also you in the Son and in the Father you will remain. Now, it's just that simple. When one does not hold fast to the truth, this one's not in the Father and the Son. Who is he? He's like we've seen early on. Those one who has gone out, that has not remained. They were never saved. They were never part. That's what John says. So he's simply saying, those who say, oh, we're, we're followers of the God of Israel, but we don't believe that there's a son of God. We don't believe that the Messiah is the son of God. Such a group of people, Jew or Gentile, makes no dis difference. They don't have any relationship with God the Father, the God of Israel. Only when you have a relationship with the Son, then you have a relationship with the Father. But if you deny the Son, you cannot have a relationship with God as Father. God in any way whatsoever. So look again at verse 24. He says, Therefore you, what you've heard from the beginning, in you let this remain. And if in you this remains, what you have heard from the beginning, also you and the Son, and in the Father you will remain. Verse 25. And this is the promise which He has promised us. Now, if you believe that, and I hope you do, that, that Yeshua is the Son of God, that Yeshua is the Messiah, if you've accepted that gospel message, you will remain in the Son and you will remain in the Father. And you have, and this is where the Scripture is going, you have a wonderful promise. This is what he's speaking about. Look again at our text, verse, verse 25. And this is the promise which he has promised us. And what is it? It is eternal life. Now, you hear eternal life, what comes into your mind? Life without end. That's fine. That's true. But also that phrase, eternal life, means more specifically kingdom life. That's why the moment you believe you have eternal life, what's the implication of that? You're supposed to be living as though you're in the kingdom right now. That kingdom character. And the only way that you can do that is with that anointing. It's only the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows you to live in obedience to kingdom truth in this world. And notice what he says, verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning the ones who deceive you. As we approach these last days, as that spirit of the Antichrist gets bolder and more visible, 
and, and more prevalent in this world, we're going to see that there's a spirit of deceit. In fact, God, because of deniers, those who reject the truth, it says that God is going to send a spirit of delusion, that is deceit, into the world. That's the spiritual law. When you deny truth, it is going to produce deceit in your life. That's just the spiritual law. You deny what God is revealing to you, and you are going to be deceived. And that's why he says, look again, verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning the ones who deceive you. That's their intent. They want to deceive you. And you, here's the solution. This is how we overcome that deceit and that we become ready for Messiah's return. Now, I mentioned earlier the second coming. The second coming is primarily, and hear this, it's primarily for the remnant of the house of Israel and Judah. That, that one-third that is going to be present, still alive, at the end of Jacob's tribulation. That second half of Daniel's 70th week. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, when Messiah comes again, we're going to be with him, meaning believers, those who have accepted the gospel. We're coming back with him to be rulers with him and reign with him during the millennial kingdom. So he's not going to be speaking about, in a few minutes, the second coming. He's going to be speaking about an event not for the remnant of Israel, who come to faith at the very end of Daniel's 70th week, those last seven years. But he's going to be talking to true believers, those who remain in Messiah, in the word, who follow what they've heard from the beginning, the truth, who are not deceived. He says here, look at verse 27, and you, the anointing you have received from him, in you, he or it remains, meaning he remains the Messiah. And it, the anointing, the word anointing here in the text, I want to read it correctly, it's the word chrisma. Chrisma is anointing, and we find that, that it is a neuter word, so it would be it. It, this anointing, remains in you. But if you have the anointing, he's going to be in you as well. So he says, verse 27, and you, the anointing which you have received from him, from Messiah, in you, it, this anointing remains. And notice a marvelous outcome of that. And you do not have need that anyone should teach you. Now, what he's saying here is not that you never need someone to teach you. We all need help, discipleship. But on these basic things, what he's teaching now, we'll be able to have discernment. We will know who's true and who's a liar, who is a denier and who has received, who belongs to the Antichrist and who belongs to the true Christ. That's what he's saying here. You don't need anyone to teach you these basic things. You know them. But as this same anointing teaches you concerning all things, all these things related to what he's speaking about here, being ready, being found faithful 
For what event? Well, now we're coming to the end of chapter 2. And he's going to end this chapter with a blessed hope. And that blessed hope is Messiah coming, and we're not speaking about the second coming, but we're speaking about the rapture, the blessed hope. What is revealed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and Titus chapter 2, and verse, verse 13. Notice what he says. Verse, verse 27, but as this same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it is true. This anointing produces truth. It is a true anointing. And he, Messiah, is true. And he is not a liar, meaning there's no falsehood in him or with this anointing. Just as he teaches you or the anointing, it's unclear, or the anointing teaches you, remain in him, remain in Messiah. Now, we know here it's remaining in Messiah because if it was anointed, anointing, it would be in the neuter, but this is masculine. So it says, just as, and I believe it, he teaches you through this anointing, you remain in him, in Messiah. Verse 28. Now he says, and now children. Now, this is not the same word for children that we saw in verse 18. It's a different one. It's speaking about a word that, that emphasizes endearment, emphasizes love, emphasizes a family relationship. See, don't believe the lie that, oh, we're all God's children. Where, where's that in the Bible? Now, every person is created by God. They were born into this world, but being born into this world, being a creator, being a creation of God, isn't, isn't anything that's going to cause you to have a relationship with God. You have to be born again. You have to be redeemed by the blood of Messiah. You have to receive that gospel message. You have to believe, not just that Messiah died upon that tree, that cross, but he rose from the dead and ascended into the heavens. All of this shows God's acceptance of his work. So he says, verse 28, and now children remain in him. Who's him? Messiah. It's clear from the context. Why? In order that whenever should he should be manifested. Now it's in the passive. Why is that important? Because Messiah is waiting. He is demonstrating submissiveness to the authority of his father. And therefore it says whenever he should be manifested, we have because we've remained in this anointing. We have walked in truth. We remained in him. What are we going to be? We're going to be confident. We're going to be bold. That's what he says here. Middle of verse 28. And we have confidence. And we will not be ashamed. Meaning we won't be made ashamed from him at his coming. Now, again, this coming is referring to the rapture. Why? Because it has to do with us. See, if it was the second coming, it's not an issue of us being ashamed. Why? He's not being manifested to us. We will have been with him at the time of the second coming. We will have been with him. 
There will be people who have been with him for hundreds, for over a thousand, for nearly 2,000 years, that when they died, their bodies are put in the tomb, but their souls ascend to heaven. They are with Messiah. So at the second coming, why would they be ashamed? They're coming with him. They've been with him. And those who have taken part in the rapture, they will have been with him for, for a short period of time. And therefore, when the time comes for them to return with him, there's no shame. So this is speaking about the rapture when he comes, not all the way to Jerusalem, not all the way to this world, but he descends into the sky and he gathers us up with the shout of that, that ram's horn, the shofar. And that's why he says, middle of verse 28 once more, that we have boldness and that we will not be ashamed from him in, and this could mean at, his coming. Verse 29, our last verse. If you know. Now, this word know is in the perfect. So it means if you have known, and the implication is the truth, the anointing, who Messiah is, you have never denied him. If you've known him in the past, you know him now and you will continue to know him in the future. That's what this tense means. And if you know that he is righteous. Now, I love this because we're speaking about him fulfilling his promises, him doing the truth of God, fulfilling all what God has said he's going to do. And when it speaks about Messiah's coming to gather up his, his, his body of believers, his disciples, the church, when he says that, we read, and this one is righteous. You know that everyone that is doing righteousness, and here's the key, this is a test. How do I know that, that I've truly received the gospel? How do I know that I'm not a denier? That I'm not one that's going to go forth, depart when things get tough and difficult? Well, first of all, if you're a believer, you have the anointing, the Holy Spirit's within you. But there's also, that's an inward, there's also an outward manifestation. And that is what? That you're going to be doing just what it says here. But everyone who is doing, and it's so significant that this is a participle. Why? A participle is an active word. It speaks of an action, but that action describes the person. That person is known. He's identified by the action. That's why the grammar is so important. You know that everyone who is doing righteousness from him, he has been born. And that means this one has in the past, it's true, this, this new birth, this new life, this regeneration, it's happened in the past, it's true today, and it's an eternal outcome. That's what it means when it's in the perfect, when it says, the one who is doing righteousness, and literally the righteousness, the righteousness of the word of God, what scripture, the commandments reveal. Everyone who's doing righteousness from him, that is from Messiah, he has been born. That's why just being a creation of God doesn't mean anything. All humanity is, 
but being a disciple of Messiah, walking in the truth, being one who knows the Son so you can have a relationship with the Father, so that you can hear the truth, utilize that anointing, and be one doing righteousness. This gives evidence of our new birth, that, that birth that comes through faith in that gospel message. Well, I'll close with that until next time. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.